0: Hello, hello. How are you doing? Welcome back. We are up to episode 169 of the Sustainable-ish podcast and the fourth, shall we say, proper episode of the new season. So a massive thank you to everyone who has taken the time to leave a comment on the website or on social media or on their podcasting platform of choice. It has been so lovely to hear from people and to hear how much the podcast really helps. Abby got in touch via the website to say, and I quote, I have learnt most changes I do from your podcasts or from one of your guests. Isn't that just so lovely? And Lucy said, I think I've got more inspiration and made more real changes in my life and attitudes and discovered more useful and interesting things and people through you and the podcast especially than anywhere else. And I cannot thank Abby and Lucy enough for their comments because And I know here I'm in danger of playing the world's tiniest violin, but putting the podcast together is quite a lot of work. And I'm flying solo this season as I really just couldn't justify the costs of an editor, given that the podcast doesn't really bring in any money. And I think I probably underestimated how much work it would take to get each episode out into the world. So reading comments like this genuinely helps. Because with everything I do, whether it's talks or writing the books or carbon literacy training or indeed this podcast, what I really want more than anything is for people to go away and to do something differently, no matter how small or imperfect that action is. So hearing that the podcast actually really does help with that, genuinely gives me a huge lift. Thank you to everyone who has left such lovely comments. So today's episode, we're talking money and specifically how we can make our money a little bit greener. I am chatting to Dan Sherrod-Smith who is the founder and CEO of MotherTree, a platform that helps us all to get better informed about the impact of our money when it's in our current accounts, our savings, our pensions and even when it comes to things like mortgages, insurance and broadband. We've got a few episodes in the archive diving into money and I've linked to them in the show notes so do go back and have a listen to them if you fancy it. So I was a little bit smug going into this and I felt like I was pretty on top of all things green money but I have to confess I hadn't even considered things like insurance and mortgage had firmly been put into the too hard box. So it was a real eye opener to chat to Dan about what they're doing at Mother Tree to help individuals, uh, people like you and me work out how we can be a little bit greener with our money but also the work that they're doing with businesses, not just uh, to help them to make their business accounts and investments greener, but also how they're helping businesses help their employees as well. Um, if that sounds very complicated, it's genuinely not. Uh, so, do go and check out the Mother Tree website. I've linked to it in the show notes. There is so much on there, including a money carbon calculator where you just fill out a few details um, and you get an idea of the carbon footprint and the carbon impact of your financial choices. Also, as I was listening back to this episode to edit it, I realised that we spent probably at least the first 15 minutes talking about talking about climate change rather than money stuff. And I kind of feel like, oh, uh, maybe I should apologise for that. But actually, I'm not going to apologise for that. And I really hope that you find it as interesting as I did, hearing about how Dan went about setting up Mother Tree and the hugely important role that having climate conversations played in that. Because as well as all the juicy money stuff, I would really love one of the takeaways from this episode. I don't think I'm allowed to dictate what you take away from this episode, but but if I am, then I would really love one of those takeaways to be us all trying to be a little bit braver and have a few more climate conversations. So to that end, I've linked in the show notes to a super helpful video that I use during carbon literacy training, all about how to have a constructive and useful climate conversation without it descending into... Everybody feeling a little bit awkward and maybe getting a little bit defensive. So, um, have a little watch of that. As I said, it's in the show notes and do let me know if it's helpful. And just before we get started, a quick heads up that there are a couple of occasions where Dan's internet is a bit dodgy, I think is the technical term. And my extremely limited editing, editing, I can't even say it, my extremely limited editing skills are completely unable to cope with that and do anything about it so apologies hopefully it doesn't detract too much from all the great info in the rest of the episode. Right then that's it from me enjoy this episode enjoy this chat and I will catch you on the other side with the good news section enjoy. Hello Dan welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Jen really great to be here.
0: Excited to chat to you. Um. Okay, let's let's just kick off with a really bog standard question: Who are you? Where are you? What do you do? That's three questions. Uh,
1: so, uh, I'm Dan. I am the founder and CEO of Mother Tree, and Mother Tree makes it really easy for businesses and individuals to go green and save money. And we focus on six key areas: uh, current accounts, savings accounts, investments, pensions, insurance, and energy. And I think the, the third question was, "Where am I?" I'm currently in Bratislava, Slovakia, so Ooh. Central Europe. Uh, moved out here about two years ago, uh, but everything everything we do is is UK based.
0: Oh my goodness! So we're going to get go completely off topic now. And um, what what prompted the move to Slovakia?
1: Well, my wife's a Slovakian, so we met uh, we met at work many years ago in London, and during during lockdown. You know, suddenly there was no need to be in offices anymore, and she was pregnant, so she wanted to be near her mum for the birth. So we moved out here, and yeah, we haven't looked back. It's been great,
0: amazing. I have absolutely no idea of what what the what life is like in Slovakia and all that sort of thing. Has it been a culture shock, or has it been good?
1: It's, I mean, it's been great. It's definitely been a culture shock. Uh, it's 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 a little bit like where East meets West, Bratislava, because they were. Um, The communists rolled in in the 60s and basically bulldozed most of the city. They kept the really uh, very, very beautiful old town, but the rest is kind of classic communist structure. So you really get a mix of, of, yeah, sort of east meets west. But also uh, it's a country, this is my favourite stat about Slovakia. It has more trees per person than any other country in Europe. So it's a real forest country so you get this amazing uh, yeah amazing forest to go and relax in and walk around.
0: And and a contrast to the UK because I think we're one of the most un- depleted in terms of forest coverage um, nations in the in Europe aren't we so um, yeah.
1: Yeah we are unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah Um. so how long um, has Mother Tree been going?
1: Mother Tree, uh, we set up officially the business in March 2022, so it's about a year and a half old, but I've been working on this for much longer than that. I, uh, pre- Previous to this, I was on the founding team and look after my bill, so I kind of built that business to a point where we were switching almost a million households to better energy deals, uh, and we got the best ever deal on Dragon's Den during that time. And towards the end of my time at Look After My Bills, uh, it, it kind of dawned on me, you know, it's all very well doing this and saving people money, but it just felt there was more, there was something more to be had out of this. And so I started researching what has now become MotherTree and ultimately left that comfortable job. And yeah, just started interviewing people and hearing hearing how they were experiencing this, this sort of climate crisis that we have. And yeah, ultimately that's what's become MotherTree.
0: And that that was going to be another question is, um, I had the phrase used to me, um, like, what was my eco epiphany? And I really like that, that word. And so I've completely stolen it. Um, was there one moment for you where you were like, oh, crap, or like, you know, because some people have that very sort of, it was this or other people are like, well, it was just a sort of drip, drip, drip. And then I realized, like, you know, there's, that I have a role to play. And there was something I could do about this. Like, how, what was that for you?
1: I love that eco epiphany. Definitely stealing that. As well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic way to put it. I um, so yeah, my the first sort of the time I, I I realized this, uh, I was about twelve. So I grew up in Swansea, South Wales, uh, and it's just on the edge of the Gower, which has, in my opinion, the most beautiful beaches in the world. And my my wife likes to say they're the most beautiful beaches in my world. Uh, but it's just golden sand and dramatic cliffs it's just a really incredible place to be in I remember yeah, 12 years old sitting in a geography class and hearing about climate change for the first time and realising mm. without dramatic change we're going to lose that part of the world and I really didn't know what to do about it then but that feeling has stuck with me and you know there's definitely been more profound eco epiphanies mm. since then and, and and you know at cost of human lives and Things more than more than the sort of beaches of yes uh a, a, you know very well to do nation but that was the first time that I really woke up to this
0: and so what you said you were working on this other um and forgive me the name's gone completely out of my head was it compare my bills
1: look after my bills look
0: after my bills I was so close um like I think lots of us are Aware of the climate crisis, worried about the climate crisis, and lots of us think somebody needs to do something about that. It's quite a big leap. It feels like to go, I need to do something about that, and to leave a job, or to leave, um, or to to start changing the way we do things, and to take that sort of personal responsibility. What what was it for you that made me, that made you go, I need to do something about this. This is something I could do oh, unfortunately, I might be able to bring some, you know, make a living at the same time because that's often a, a, a difficulty.
1: Yeah, it is. And that, and and sort of those two things overlapping is, is important to make it a success in the long run. Uh, you know, so I can keep doing it and have a bigger impact. What was it for me? So I, um, you know, it's definitely not my first startup. It's probably my, officially my third and unofficially my fifth uh through various things so I've kind of have that I guess that appetite for risk like I'm okay trying something new and you know one of my startups failed so I've I've been there I've kind of stared that failure in the face I've experienced it and that was quite transformational I realized actually nothing's changed only the ego's bruised and that's probably a good thing uh so and was that, that is... an
0: eco startup or a?
1: a well, that was actually it began. It began as a social business. It was called Good Company, and it connected volunteers with the elderly in their area. Oh,
0: nice.
1: Uh, yeah, and we became. I mean, it's just some immense lessons through that. So it became a charity, which unlocked about half a million pounds in funding, and the two big lessons were, you know, we we designed the the sort of solution in the meeting room. And then we went out to talk to people about it. And pretty quickly, it was evident that this wasn't going to hit the impact we wanted. But we persevered for a year because we'd kind of already designed it. Yes. And ever since then, I do it in the opposite way. For me, it's like talking or listening, not talking, listening to people and hearing where they are and seeing if I can add value to what, to their day-to-day lives. Okay. So so
0: how how did that process or what did that process look like with mother tree then that what was the initial what were the initial questions you asked of people i guess
1: yeah so for me the initial process was just to start to talk to people mainly on zoom uh the initial questions were mainly around you know what are you what are you feeling when it comes to the climate crisis what do you th- what do you think? Uh, in terms of when you know and when do you experience it you know if it's on your LinkedIn feed or when you watch the news and just trying to get an understanding of how people sort of protect themselves against such awful news.
0: Mm. And so was that literally like you put a post out on LinkedIn or was that you saying to five friends can you come and jump on a zoom with me how did you get people to come and jump on online with you?
1: Yeah it's it's friends to begin with uh so friends ex-colleagues and really a kind of the sweet spot is when they start when what I always would say and I I do this almost always on research causes at the end is say you know it would be really helpful if you could introduce me to just a couple of people Mm. and then on those calls and they're harder to to bring on a call because obviously they don't know me but that's where the real value is because it's not just kind of you got the friendship you don't always want to like yes but feelings and you're kind of telling them what you think they want you to know, yes, you know yeah you know what I mean? but the friends are friends they they don't have all of that nuance so they'll just they'll just kind of tell you if it's if it's shit or if it's good and um, and were
0: those because sorry big, the reason I'm digging into this so much is because I you know I, I'm increasingly talking about the importance of talking about climate change and and the idea of getting on you know 50, 100, I don't know how many you did Zoom calls with people to talk about climate change. Were these people who were already self-selected as people who were worried about climate crisis or did you get a complete broad range of people going, climate crisis, what climate crisis, through to like, yes, I'm already on board and I'm already doing stuff for, like, was, was it a genuine cross-section of, of society or was it a um, a microcosm of the eco bubble, if you guess? Uh
1: Yeah, definitely more of the microcosm. So, although I think it's important to talk to people... You know, outside of the bubble uh, and on LinkedIn I often talk to climate deniers because they engage with some of my posts and that's fine because that gives me a new perspective but I'm only interested in people who already have skin in this game who already want to do something who it, it was a process of people that are already self-selected they're already doing something to live more sustainably you know whether that's Uh, shifting to less meat in their diet or cycling to work or you know just Mm. some sort of action where they want to uh they want to have a more positive impact on the planet yeah
0: and did you find that 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 process because I find I can talk to you really happily about the climate crisis I can do webinars I can stand up on stage I can you know I'm very happy talking about the climate crisis with people who have already given me that permission if you like what's very what I find very difficult is talking to my friends or mums in the playground or because it feels like it's a very emotive topic and you know so did you find that having that process of having all those conversations with potentially some people strangers albeit on zoom and you've got that permission made it easier to have those other more day-to-day conversations about climate with people
1: Really good point. I um I'm not sure. It definitely helped creating a safe space for someone to talk about it. And sometimes it became therapy, you know, yeah. it gets to really uh it drives it some really strong, understandably emotions. Mm. Uh, you know, frustration, anger, overwhelm, guilt, some really strong emotions in there. Yeah, and it also yeah. kind of harks to what's going to happen for our future. So it's just very emotive. So for me, it's the zoom calls were necessary to create a really safe environment and mm. uh, whereas I find with family uh, and friends you don't get that kind of yeah. um you get a different type of feedback yes because it's just a different relationship
0: yeah and and I guess with those one of the pressures I think that I put myself under and I think possibly other people do when when they're talking to friends or family about the climate crisis is to to you know convince them it's a problem and then tell them how how they can fix it and that you know and these are the things that you need to do and it's all tied up with a nice neat bow in a five minute conversation and obviously that that isn't how conversations work but when you're if the premise of your zoom call was I'd love to have 20 minutes of your time to talk about how you feel about the climate crisis you're not then under pressure to fix it for them or to explain it to them or like and that's that is much more represent that is much more useful I think I would just for us and I'm working with my community on this is like how do we have more of these everyday climate conversations by just saying I'm really worried about this how do you feel about it and just letting the conversation happening rather than feeling like we've got to fix it or we've got to convince them or we've got to do something about it we just want to get people talking about how they're feeling about it and so was that quite a useful like I really want to know like what exactly what questions did you use and what wordings did you you know all that sort of like how did you how did you kick off the conversation because it is quite a as you say a motive intense thing to talk about
1: yeah I mean it's two years ago now so I don't think I'll be remembering the questions off the top of my head (laughs) but um I think the first thing is is to make sure it's a really safe space yeah you know and and those those calls were often recorded but I did say you could turn the recording off at any point and you know haven't shared them beyond me and the immediate mother tri- mm. mother's team and I won't be sharing it beyond that um but just making them feel very very safe and going in with a very open mind in the sense of like I and you're right I'm at, you know it was a kind of I'm not here to convince and actually I couldn't convince because I didn't have a product at that point it wasn't yes. even like angle it was it was just to listen it really was just to listen and that was the original framing it was kind of like like I'm, I'd like to move into this area I think I can have an impact somewhere but I'd really like to listen to you and your experience and what's going on for you and
0: so how many conversations that, did you have can you remember
1: gosh well we've probably done over 300 hours of user interviews now uh in various shapes and forms but early on 20 yeah like I always try and get to beyond 12 because you start to see trends okay yeah Uh, I'd have to double check the files yeah so about 20 to begin with
0: and and so were there trends and themes what did you see come out of that
1: oh yeah um the first thing is the emotions and I've sort of grouped it into what we call fog fog which is I know you're familiar with it but uh, for the audience it's uh f is frustration o is overwhelming g is guilt mm. so this sense of frustration of you know not having enough time to live a greener lifestyle and uh, also frustration at politicians and big business yeah. for not playing their part but frustrating you know thinking back to people i talked to and actually it's predominantly women typically with kids and just this frustration that they want to do more for the planet, but they also, you know, they're working mums, they've got to put food on the table oh. and it's kind of shitty of society, but there is this like really rubbish expectation that the woman also does more in the house, which is completely rubbish. But those tasks do unfortunately tend to fall to the female side of the species. So there's all this stuff going on and it's just, we group that as frustration. There's a, it's a cluster of feelings really, oh. but frustration at wanting more time to do good for the planet Mm.
0: and and Um, and i i i I find it frustrating like why is it harder to do the right thing why is it sometimes more expensive why does it take more time why does it and some of that is because it's it's changing habits that we've developed and all those sorts of things and once you've got your new normal it's not it's not hard anymore but society is is not set up for this to be the default easy option otherwise we'd all be doing it and that frustrates me
1: (laughs) exactly and I, and that is the whole mission of mother tree is can we make it so easy to pick the sustainable option that it becomes the default mm. that's exactly yeah. uh and it harks at that frustration uh, the over the o- overwhelm um so you know even if you do have the time it is pretty overwhelming in terms of the amount of choice and also just mm. figuring out what's you know is it greenwashing is it, yeah. is, it, is, it, is it genuine uh and then the g is that sense of guilt of not doing more so that's the kind of first cluster of first trend really uh and there's different ways to sum it up but we chose fog because it's memorable uh and then the other thing is there's just this this sense of sort of lack of time and also a perception that going green costs money and that's true on some things like that is genuinely a green premium on on some things but also on certain areas like banking just as one example some of the best interest rates are green banks Mm. And certainly the, the big polluting banks offer a rubbish interest rate. Mm. So there's just this really interesting sense of, I haven't got enough time and then oh, and I won't do it anyway because going green costs more. So yeah. why bother?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and as you said, and there are some things that cost more. So if we're looking at things like sustainable fashion or organic food or whatever. And there's a whole debate to be had around is that, that, that they're too expensive, or is that that the other things are too cheap, and that someone in the you know someone somewhere or the planet is paying for that? Um, but there are lots of things, you know, the, the core bit of being sustainable is consuming less, which is going to save us money. So whether that's food waste or energy or um, uh, um, you know buying less fewer clothes and all those sorts of things. So yeah, that 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 perception can be difficult to to challenge. I think, can't it? Um, so you had these conversations, and you create you you group together these feelings into fog, and then how did you decide how you best could help people with your skill set your experience, all that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so it was my my wife really. She came up with the idea of something called the climate challenge, which uh is about two years ago now. It was actually it is exactly two years ago. It was 30 challenges, 30 days for a group of about eight people. So enough to share uh, a pizza, hopefully a vegan pizza. And we we went through it together. So the first group, me and seven people was, it was friends, really, and ex-colleagues. And then we ran that until we got to about 40 people. And the challenges were, you know, a real mix of things. It was find out our carbon footprint. It was, we went vegan for the day got rid of single use plastic and each challenge I was kind of asking them you know how how was it did you do it did you not do it why didn't you do it uh you know just out of interest what held mm. you back kind of thing so just drilling into getting an understanding of like what's really holding people back here and bearing in mind they're all already motivated because you sort of yes. self even just being on that, mm. that community the climate challenge community you already want to do something about it basically through the challenge realized where are banks were lending money and where our pensions were investing and and yeah it was really stark so kind of realizing hsbc and natwest who were my banks put you know hsbc put about 10 billion into oil and gas every year natwest is about 2 billion uh but also natwest had been found to being invest um to being investing in cluster munitions that we know have been used in, in places like syria mm. so, uh, these were just things that I'd never support. And equally, my pension was 2% in BP and Shell, 1% in British American tobacco, 1% in weapons. And just realising the basis was a real wake-up call. And it wasn't just me. It was a consistent, yeah. each group that went through, this was the thing that got people fired up and taking action. So that's ultimately where we um, where we focus Mother Tree.
0: And I think you're so right that most people we know about trying to reduce meat and dairy. We know that, you know, we shouldn't be maybe flying as much as we we are. We know that we should be, you know, we know these big things, but consistently, I I find the same when I um, sort of do workshops and talks and things. And then I I say, oh, and had you thought about where your money's invested? And people, no. And and it's just such a like oh my god moment for so many people, isn't it? And there's there's I know you've got your I want to talk in a minute about your money carbon calculator, and there are various other websites you can go and you can look, and they'll rank your bank and that sort of thing, and and it, you can literally do it in like two minutes, can't you? And go oh, um, and and so I I think there's still quite a lot of work to do in in helping people to join a join the dots and have that realization but but then the next step is doing something about it and I I heard a stat that um and I don't know how how true it is but that somebody in the UK is more likely to end a long-term relationship with uh, a person than they are to end their relationship with their bank in that we are so wedded to our uh and that's why all the banks just are there at freshers fairs at unis aren't they like come and sign up come and sign up because they know that if they get you at 18 they've got you for the rest of your life
1: yeah I mean that's how Nat West got me they got me on the rail card at 18 yes And I was with them until I was uh, in my early 30s. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, But what I would say is is this is a huge source of hope as well, because if we can get the finance going in the right direction, then pretty quickly we get money going to places that we want to see succeeding Mm -hmm. in the next 10 to 30 years. And we can really start to shift society to a place that is far more sustainable um you know we we already know the solutions to getting off oil and gas we know that's renewable energy and energy Mm. storage it's a lack of funding and political will to make that happen well Mm. yeah the funding is in our hands we can make sure our banks and pensions are going to those kind of places
0: yeah now we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast i think i've done an episode with um good with money and we've done an episode with make my money matter and but there are people who, it might be surprising, but there are people who might not listen to the whole back catalogue. So they might not have listened to those episodes. So for anyone who is having that, oh my God, I had no idea about my money. You've you've sort of said that, um, you know, you discovered that your your bank or your pension might be investing in, um, you know, like munitions. And so how, how prevalent is that? If we're using a high street bank for our current account, where might our, and, and, and like, you know, if I've only got 100 quid in there and I keep going overdrawn, do I need to worry about that? But like, why, how are they using my money to fund this stuff, I guess is the other thing that people might be asking.
1: Yeah, I mean, What might a, they be
0: funding and how are they doing it with my money?
1: I'm glad you summed it up. Uh, so what might they be funding? The big high street banks. So Barclays, HSBC, Santander, Lloyds and NatWest. And they're affiliated brands. So, you know, First Direct for HSBC, um, Halifax for Lloyds, RBS for NatWest. Those banks are heavily funding fossil fuels. Collectively, they put in 29 billion last year to oil and gas.
0: So this My- is the other thing that I think people might be asking is like, so the BP go to, for example, HSBC and say, we, oh, the government have just released hundred new licenses. We want to go and drill for oil. Can you give us some money? Like, is that how it works?
1: Uh, kind of like they'll, re- they'll release a bond to say you know this is to go and do x activity and then they'll look for financing to deliver to that bond it blows uh, my one... mind
0: though that these fossil fuel companies look for financing when we know that they're making billions of pounds like every quarter some of them why why do they still need money from a bank And sorry this is probably completely out of your remit to be discussing this but like why why can't they just use their enormous profits to do this
1: it's an absolutely great question and one that I'd love to know the, the answer to. What I do know is that the world's 60 biggest banks, which includes the ones I mentioned, the big five in the UK, have uh, put 50 times more into fossil fuel expansion than the fossil fuel companies. And just to put that into uh, in a, a different perspective, for every pound that BP or Shell put into fossil fuel expansion, The world's 60 biggest banks put 50 pounds. My God. So it's pretty crazy to think, actually, yes, the oil and gas companies who are literally, you know, putting the straw into the earth to suck out the oil, but actually it's the banks giving them the money to do that.
0: So theoretically, if these banks were to go, no, we're out now, like we've, 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 like we've, you know, we've had our eco epiphany, we're out. That would have a dramatic impact on, but that, Is one of the arguments that I have heard somebody from a bank use. We cannot just stop investing in oil and gas overnight because we will still need oil and gas to transition. Like, is that just. That argument.
1: Yeah, that argument really pisses me off. I think that's pushing the buck to somebody else. I think that's saying it's not my problem. Well, actually, it's everybody's problem right here, right now. And our, our failure to realize that any transition that involves oil and gas is a failure, uh, is ultimately leading to more destruction of this planet and, and the people on it. Uh, of course, there needs to be a transition from literally today to tomorrow. So, you know, we're recording this on the 24th of August. Of course, we're going to need to use oil and gas tomorrow, the 25th of August. But with the right political will and the funding, and we've seen it in places like Costa Rica, you can shift to a fully 100% renewable energy base. Uh, you, know, you can start to shift the car stock within a few years. Like It doesn't take very long. And that needs to start with the financing. What those, I, I suspect, and this is, this is guesswork, but what I suspect people who are in the bank saying there needs to be a long transition, longer than, I'd say, three to five years. Uh, what they're really saying is we want to protect profit, mm. is, is my guess they should take a hit on profit to position themselves as a genuinely green bank. And I, I think in the long run, they'll be seen as a genuine leader in this space. They'll make more profit in the long run by doing that. But, uh,
0: so I can understand that, that long established banks, like those high street names that you said will have like legacy money in investing in fossil fuels. Maybe they, uh, um, created one of these bonds, I don't know, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, and it's still being paid off. Um, So is there a difference between the... the, Are there still banks that are putting new money into fossil fuel expansion?
1: Yeah, so most of those big five are still putting... If if All of them are, although Lloyds and HSBC, to my knowledge, have committed to not doing it, but at a point near in the future.
0: Okay, so
1: no new money into... And, and some of them
0: are still. Um, I can't remember who it was, which bank I was talking to. It might have been NatWest, and they said, "Oh yeah, we're going to stop. We're going to stop, stop subsidising coal by 2030." And I was like, "What? What? what? Like, a, you're still subsidising coal, and b, you're going to stop by 2030, and then what about? You know, it just. Um, they obviously want to be seen to be doing something because they're aware that people are watching. Um, but as you say, the the I guess the greenwashing is
1: right. Oh, it's tremendous. And and if you think like, okay, we're, we're kind of generally a species who resist change. But if we think about what happens if we did live in a society that didn't rely on oil and gas, well, actually, renewable energy would be produced here in the UK. So we'd have mm-hmm. much more security, which means prices would be much. State more stable and probably lower as a result because we're not having to factor in price rises of gas. Mm. Uh, We'd have a healthier country because we wouldn't have you know cities would be less smog filled, Mm. and so actually the benefits surely outweigh the negatives. It's just this kind of fear of fear of what's on the other side, but Mm. but the benefits are really there.
0: So our current accounts could be investing in. So, so, so the way that, that banks work, this is, tell me this is wrong, they will like take millions of people's, you know, little hundred pounds in their current accounts and, and sort of take that out and invest it in something. And as long as there's enough money available, if somebody wants to withdraw it, is that? Is that
1: very... Not quite, <laughs> not quite. So um, banks have two sides. They have a retail side and an investment side. The retail side will take your take your deposit and keep it in an account. And the investment side will invest in various things and lend money to various projects. Your money in the the savings account or current account isn't directly invested in oil and gas, as an example. But what it is, is an asset on the bank's balance sheet. So what it is, is an endorsement. It's a a sign of like, yeah, I endorse this bank. I'm willing to give it more assets. And the bank has to balance things that it has in terms of deposits with money that's lent out
0: okay
1: yeah Uh, that's its kind of game and so our argument is if you have you know a pound in a bank and the bank has a total of a 100 pounds of assets well then you you are responsible for one percent one pound over 100 pounds of that bank Mm. and actually taking that money out means that bank has less money overall to to play with it's less powerful
0: yeah and and it's so similar with pensions isn't it in that a lot of us haven't joined the dots that uh, you've got the stats i'm sure about the the size of the either global or uk pension pots both of which are enormous and do we do you know like what percentage of pension pots are invested in fossil fuels is there are those numbers around
1: yeah so uh depending on the source it's anywhere between 4 and 9% of okay. the typical pensions invested in fossil fuels wow so, and
0: and and I would, I mean, I think probably everybody listening to this podcast would be like, I do not want my money to be invested in fossil fuels. Um, and yeah.
1: And what it means is, you know, there's 37 billion, a trillion, 37 trillion pounds globally in pensions, which is about 7% of the global economy. Uh, and so, you know, at worst case, that means that about 3 trillion is is in oil and gas as a result of our pensions. Yeah. so getting getting that money moving to you know renewable energy and affordable housing and clean water that that could fundamentally change the world for for the better
0: yeah so you've got this brings us onto your money carbon calculator so people can come to the website and I'll pop a pop a link in the show notes and um you can kind of um because I was playing around with it earlier you pick your bank yeah your current account and you say how much is in there roughly and you pick your and you can add other banks and you can pick your pension and you say how much is in there and then it gives you a a carbon footprint for your money like how do you work that out like how do you know what the carbon footprint of a pound in hsbc is versus a pound in triodos
1: yeah so we use a proportional approach so basically it's a bit like i said earlier if you have a pound uh in hsbc and let's just say hsbc of 100 pounds in assets you're responsible for 1%, one percent, one pound of HSBC's overall footprint. Then we have to calculate HSBC's overall footprint. So they already produced a report for what's called scope one and two, which is mm-hmm. kind of like operations, uh, you know, very, very loosely put the energy. They use those kind of things scope three, the reporting from banks isn't great and it should in theory, include their investments. Uh, But we use a lot of other resources that are available um, pretty much freely, although we also partner with people like Mike Berners-Lee, who's a a leader in the carbon footprinting space, Mm. to get a real understanding of where the bank's actually lending its money, including things like trading terminals, so we can see which banks lent to which project. And what that allows us to do is build up a, a view of their investment portfolio. Uh, and we use a triangulation method, which means every single data point has to have three sources to confirm that point. Wow, I'm so uh, glad
0: you guys are doing this, and I don't have to. <laughs>
1: it's not, I mean, luckily, there's a much smarter team <laughs> yeah. than me, than me uh, doing doing the uh, the real work, uh, including my co my brilliant co-founder Craig Wellington, and that ultimately gives us a full picture of their carbon footprint. And let's say that carbon footprint, just for uh, example terms, is is 100 tons. Well, if you have a pound over a hundred pounds in assets, so you'll you have a one percent of that bank, therefore one percent of a hundred tons, you have one ton uh, attributed to you in terms of your carbon footprint. So that's how we do it. But what I would say, you know, it's it's always there's never hundred percent accuracy on these things. Mm, like, yeah, yeah, best yeah. Guess.
0: So a couple of um questions that people might have. Like, how 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 do I know where my pension is? Like, because most of us. We go and start a new job and they say sign this piece of paper about your pension and you sign this piece of paper about your pension and file it or whatever. Like so do we speak to HR? Is there somewhere we can go and check online? Like, how how do we know?
1: That's an absolutely brilliant question. Um, definitely speak to HR. It, you know, they will hold the details. Uh, but also you should get a yearly report from your provider. Uh so if you if you know if you're one of those people who keep that, that paperwork, great, then you maybe you don't have to go to HR. Uh but ultimately, you know, if you know your providers, let's say it's Scottish Widows or Aviva, uh, they will have a an account area online where you can log in and you can see what's happening with your pension. Okay. And you can see the funds that it's invested in, or you can see the overall fund that they've used. And it typically has a it has an Alphabet soup of a name. I was
0: going to say, will it be like, yeah, cloud, or will it be like um, oil? Do you know, like, will it will it literally tell me what it's will I understand what it's invested in?
1: The top line is not clear at all. They, you know, it has all sorts of different wacky names. But what I suggest is you take that name, copy it, put it into the browser, ideally in ecosia, if it's Google Mm. ecosia plant trees when you uh, when you do search, uh, and then. And uh, there's a site called Trustnet, but there are others, but Trustnet will then show you the top 10 companies that that fund is invested in. Mm-hmm. So you'll at least be able to see the top 10. And the top 10 typically covers about 5 to 15% of the overall fund, but it'll at least give you that first view. Yeah. Uh, now, now, for a more detailed view, obviously, you know, services like MotherTree can provide that. Yeah. And we do that for our clients. But just as that starting point, that's um, that's a good way to go. And then the final thing I'd say on this is, if you're unsure where your pension is, there's a government free government service. Typically, takes six weeks, five minute form to fill out, and they actually go and hunt for previous pensions. Oh, okay. So you, you never know, you might uncover an extra pension here and there. So
0: where do we find that? Uh,
1: there's a link on on the government website. So I okay, will. Cool. um Let me just sort
0: well, of type. Well, I'll I'll find it for people and we'll, and we'll pop it in the show notes. And um, the the other thing is like when when I was playing around with the carbon calculator earlier and it said who is your pension with and I was like oh I don't know. and then it says. And then I think it says, you know, is it in a sustainable fund with this company? How would we know?
1: Um, so we, so the Mother Tree uh, platform and similar like we do with banks, we're able to look at pension providers, the funds that they're in. Uh, on the platform, we like to keep it simple. So we just say which, which pension provider are you in? And so we then attribute it to the default fund. If you choose a sustainable fund, we attribute it to the default sustainable fund.
0: And so how uh, would we know whether we were in a default fund or a sustainable fund? We would have oh, had to I have see. actually asked somebody to put it in a sustainable fund, would we?
1: Yeah, so when you log into the... Uh, sorry, I was getting the link for the government service. <laughs> I the gist of that question. I've put it in the... Um,
0: Thank you. Yes, it's there in the chat. Uh, i put
1: it in the chat. Uh, yeah, so the best way to do it is to go to the account login area, you know, for Scottish Widows or, or Aviva or whoever uh and it should it should be clear in terms of the details of that fund whether it's sustainable but if you're still unsure definitely talk to hr Mm. Uh, come and talk to mother tree we'll have a look for you on your behalf as well um do that free of charge and uh you know there are people out there who will just be able to review it and say okay yeah this is an ethical fund or not
0: okay yeah that's super helpful so um so we do all that and then um you guys you like you give the the carbon footprint in tons, don't you, of, of what people's money is. Um, and then very helpfully you then give them suggestions as to to who to switch to, you know, this uh, for current accounts. I think there was even a like if you switch to this bank, it might save you this much. And if you switch to um uh so that's obviously how people can make a start looking at their um current accounts and their pensions. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about was I know that on sort of looking around having a poke around the website um two things that you mentioned that I think most people would be like well maybe three things actually mortgages insurance and broadband like how how do I get a a, a sustainable mortgage like i got no idea
1: mortgage is really interesting so mortgage uh first up you know if you have a mortgage with Barclays well that is also giving Barclays your business so again Mm. it's an endorsement of their of their investment uh, policies, so there is just a kind of consideration where who's the mortgage provider actually with, oh, oh. and then the next layer down from that is this kind of idea of green mortgages, and some providers like Barclays will give you a slightly better mortgage if you have um, what's called an EPCA rating on your uh, uh, on your purchase property. EPC is Energy Performance Certificate; it shows you how efficiently the, um, the house is. I argue that's greenwashing. Because uh, what Barclays are basically doing on that is is bringing in as much of the EPCA rating as they can, which lowers their carbon footprint. Right, yes. What we're not doing is improving the housing stock of the UK, which needs dramatic improvement, which also then saves people money on their bills. Yeah, yeah. Better energy efficiency of the home. But there are providers who will do that, like Ecology Building Society, who will actively take on uh, lower EPC-rated properties which negatively impacts their carbon footprint mm. and they'll work with the customer to move that property up the scale mm. which is genuine
0: yes <laughs> actually quite well, helpful yeah
1: genuinely green mortgage that's yeah. how i suspect it should be um so that's mortgages uh and, insurance- and are
0: there many because because certainly we, we found when we were looking into our money i think mortgage is one of the last things that that we came to and it, you know, as much as a, it feels like a headache moving, a current account moving, a mortgage feels even more, you know, um, of an issue, um, especially with interest rates doing what they're doing and all that sort of thing. Like, are, are there many options for us to move mortgages to?
1: It really depends on your own situation. Uh, But there are there are green options out there There are banks that are actively offering kind of green mortgages. And. Uh, the greener banks are competitive in this field, but it really depends on your own situation. Mm-hmm. You just, as you said, it is a complex market. So you just have to uh, sort of work through the data in terms of what's best for you. And then what are the options as a result?
0: Yeah. And um, insurance, I don't. Um, we don't need to dive into too much because we've actually got an episode coming up on insurance. Um, so we won't uh, do that we, too much. But that, band,
1: insurance.
0: So again, who's insured, who's insurance um, with? Nick from Nature Save is coming on
1: fantastic love nature save can i just do a little bit on insurance yeah, yeah, passionate go for it. about it in so a, a project can get all the finance it possibly needs but if it doesn't get the insurance it still won't go ahead and we've seen that in vietnam we've seen coal mines not happen because they didn't get the insurance even though they had all the finance and so that money started to go into renewable energy in v- vietnam and so if we can get enough people going to uh, insurance providers who refuse to insure on a gas oh. then that's the way we can Put pressure on those on oil and gas, but also make sure we're uh, getting renewable energy happening.
0: And that that blew my mind when I, you know, I've had a quick sort of pre pre chat with Nick, and and I was and I I just like hadn't. I mean, why would you stop and think about it? I guess, but I was like, so insurance companies are insuring oil fields, and he was like, yeah, and I was like, oh. Oh, hold on a minute! This doesn't feel good. Um. So yeah, that was you know I was like, oh, I've I'm, I'm all over all my money. I've I've done all this, and I was like, oh, oh well, goodness me. Um. So yeah, that's super super interesting, isn't it? Um. And then yeah, like broadband. Do you do you guys do anything with like mobile phone provider? Like oh my goodness, how how far do we have to go with this?
1: Yeah. So there is a really long tail, and when we started out, we were doing everything for clients. But now uh, we've got something called the Green Living Service, which specifically looks at finance and bills, which includes Mm. broadband. Uh, And we've deliberately limited it. But in terms of broadband and and mobile phones, we also cover that. There is a dramatic difference between the providers who who have a genuinely low carbon footprint uh, and those who still have a pretty high one. Now, the impact of shifting broadband providers is significantly less than the impact of switching a bank account or, uh, or your pension mm. or even insurance relatively speaking but there is still a gap and so you know moving our moving our broadband and, and phones over to ethical providers uh, also just shows the market this is this is where we want um, providers to be in the future.
0: And do you have suggestions on the website for broadband providers if people want to go and do that themselves?
1: We don't on the website Right. So we provide uh, as part of the Green Living Service, mm. which is a kind of bespoke service to each to each person. We do, I suspect in the future, you know, we want to get each area as as clear as we've got the banking mm. side, which you know, we've got the league table and things. Um, but it's just a matter of resource.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once
1: we can do that, we'll uh we'll definitely publish it as well.
0: So I'm I'm super aware that we've got like a hard stop at, at the end of the hour. So I've got like so many questions for you, and I'm trying to carefully pick ones that I think will be the most helpful. Um, I'm feeling listening to all this the O of the overwhelm like going oh my god like I hadn't even thought about money and now I've got to think about my current account my savings my pensions my broadband my insurance like my mortgage it as I I said you know that stat about being so wedded to our current accounts and, and not moving there is and and when in the episode we did with Make My Money Matter, I think they said something like only 7% of people would actually move their pension because it feels like such a pain in the bum. Like, So help, what do you guys do to help people get over that overwhelm?
1: Yeah, so we, we have a service called the Green Living Service, which works with businesses as well as individuals. And we run what's called our MPS methods, that basically measure, prioritise, Switch. Uh, measure. We take real time to understand you, your values, your budget, and your current situation. And you know, typically it's forty-five minutes on on your of your time, and then a lot of our time than doing the research to really understand what's going on behind the scenes. Then prioritize. So we'll return uh, with a personalized report. It'll show you exactly where you are. It'll also start to show the trade offs in terms of okay, do I uh can i reduce carbon and also get a better interest rate or is there a trade-off there does it mean actually switching back to a higher carbon bank to get a better interest rate like we'll start to go through those trade-offs and also on values so you know we've looked at uh for for clients biodiversity performance we've looked mm. at pay gap performance we've looked at equality diversity uh so we go a lot deeper than carbon uh because you know the problem is a lot deeper we have mm-hmm. you know, a lot of things we can start to get our money to, so we look at values as well. We prioritize, we draw up a plan, uh, and then once you're happy with that plan, we move to the switch stage where we do all of the paperwork on our clients' behalf. So, you know, we do all of that hassle, we do all of that admin, and we draw on, on the experience of look after my bills where we switched, you know, almost a million households to better energy deals year in oh. and year out. So, uh, that's the switch stage, and that unlocks the savings. Typically, we say, you know, on average, we save clients about 40 hours of research, which is about, a, you know, one working week. We save them uh, on average £3,000 in yearly savings and uh, we reduce carbon footprints by about 10 tonnes wow. per, per person. I would also so say when, the- to put
0: that into context for people who might not, you know, speak about this stuff every day. The average, I mean, Mike Berners-Lee puts the average UK footprint about 13 tonnes. There's lots of other, you know, I, I tend to use a sort of 10 tonne average because it's a nice round number. So so obviously that that average carbon footprint probably hasn't taken into account people's financial, people's money footprints. So if you're already slashing 10 tonnes off it.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The typical footprint, I use the same 10, our typical money footprint for the average UK consumer is 10 tonnes. Wow. Uh, so
0: really our, typ- our average footprint probably is nearer to 20 tonnes if we take into account money or...
1: It is, although um, it's a little bit more complex than that. But on the surface, I think we can say it is. Wow. Uh, And so, yeah, we reduced for the average about 10 tons, or average client 10 tons. And what I would say is we also work with businesses. So, you know, for founders, for sustainability managers, everything that applies here in terms of um, uh, banking, in terms of pensions, in terms of insurance, also applies to businesses, and actually uh when we look at the average uk sme typical carbon footprint is about 75 tons uh when you add in just their cash in the bank it moves it to 150 tons so it doubles the footprint uh so we also work with businesses just to make it really effortless to uh yeah reduce carbon and save money for those businesses and do you
0: work with businesses of all sizes so you could work with you know a, a sole uh, trader right through to i don't know mars or unilever
1: or do you know like
0: <laughs> that would be a great domain contract put, to have
1: We've got quite a few sole traders. Our biggest client date has 900 employees. It's okay. partners, uh, one of the fintechs in the UK. Um, but, you know, that's our, that's probably our, our sweet spot is that range.
0: And so would you like, with an organization, would you work with with them on the business's finance and then also work with their employees on that individual finance thing for them?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So
0: that's a great service to be to be offering isn't it like if I worked for a company that were like do you want some help with your I'd be like yes and we'll fund it yes please yes I do yes um on the funding thing so that all sounds amazing and I'm like yes I really want to come and do a um do this with you guys like how much does it cost
1: so prices start at 250 quid uh but it's a sliding scale so it really depends on what um it depends on your specific needs yeah and uh you know what's right for you and what i would say is we uh, you know we turn a few clients away because we want to make sure we have genuine impact with them there's no point working with someone who's already doing all the all the hard yards yeah value and equally you know if we get a sense the client's not actually going to take the actions Mm. i don't want to take money from that person because that's just not fair on them so we make sure we're working with the people who really do want to make a difference and it sounds Uh, like from what you're saying in terms of
0: Average savings people would make that money back again in the in the money that they would save
1: yeah we typically look for at least a 2x return in the first year but obviously once you've done the changes you get those year after year
0: and just very quickly before we finish what's the difference between using you and going to my independent financial advisor and saying i want all my money stuff to be green
1: well, the independent financial advisor can cover things like investment and uh, pensions, but they can't cover things like, as far as I know, uh, insurance and banking and mm-hmm. energy and other parts. But also, so we're kind of an umbrella. So we sit above the independent financial advisor stage. We do work with um, some IFAs, independent financial advisor. Uh, but, you know, they have to be really on point in terms of what they're doing with consu- with clients' money. Yeah the ones we work with but we're able to look given your specific criteria Mm. what's the best sort of moves to make is it an IFA is it something else if it is an IFA what kind of IFA in terms of service and fees and uh you know input do you need and want for your lifestyle and to match your goals and then we'll make the introduction and uh you know obviously we've already vetted the IFA's Mm. that we work
0: because there are like I remember when we first spoke to our financial advisor and this was years ago and he was just like you want you want to do what? do you know like it, it just wasn't something that was particularly being discussed and and I, and I hope that that is changing and that the more of us are asking of our financial advisors that we want to do this the more they will then get have to get clued up on it and stuff like that but um it might be that you have a financial advisor who's just like don't really understand why you want to do that and and not not really understanding the different options that are out there.
1: Such a good point. We're actually working with a company, it's a leading charity in the US who are basically using us as their referee for their financial advisor. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at is the financial advisor actually doing what they say they're doing when wow. it comes to the values and the carbon of the fund? Yeah. And then we're, we're working with them to give them the questions to work direct, and we're working directly with the IFA then to bring them on track.
0: Amazing. I'm um, super aware of time. Um, so, and I could talk to you easily for another hour, I think. And and I'm sure that people will have lots of other questions, really obvious ones that I would have missed. Um, very quickly, where what's the website and where can people find you on socials?
1: Uh, so the website's mymothertree.com. And if LinkedIn is where where I'm active. So if you head to, um, I think I'm the only Dan Sherrod-Smith. So type that in and yeah, absolutely add me and happy to continue the conversation, answer questions as uh, as and when people have them
0: amazing oh thank you so much dan absolutely fascinating and i hope this has been you know i'm sure this will have been really interesting for people and and sparked lots of little maybe given us an even longer to-do list than we thought we already had in terms of changes we want to make and things like that but knowing also that there's a, a whole load of resources and and customized support out there for people to do it will hopefully reduce that overwhelm bit and the frustration bit of the um well all of the all of the fog i think which is probably your plan
1: uh, yeah, I mean, we don't want people to have that fog, right? We want to, we want to help on that. Um, Jen, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Oh, it's been, it's been great, and uh, yeah, keep up the great work. Thank you. We'll do. A big thank you to Dan for joining me for that chat. As he said, it was feels like ages ago. It was back uh, towards the end of August when we recorded that. So it's lovely to be able to get it out there. How was it for you? Did you learn anything new? I don't know about you but as I said in the intro I had never even given any thought really to insurance and my mind is just a little bit blown about that. I did teaser in the interview that I had a chat lined up for the podcast with Nick from Nature Save. We're still trying to pin a date down for that but I'm really hopeful that it will still happen so do keep your ears peeled for that one and I'm sure it will be an absolutely fascinating episode that will blow my mind even more. So let me know what hit home for you in this episode. I really loved that fog acronym and can absolutely hard relate to the F, the O and the G. What about you? <laughs> and uh and what have you learned? What are you going to go away and do after listening? Maybe you're going to change your bank or check out the Money Carbon Calculator or any of the other great resources on Mother Tree. Do drop me an email. I would love to know. My email is jen at sustainableish.co.uk, or you can leave a comment on the episode on the website, which is www. Do I even need to say that anymore? A sustainablelife.co.uk, and then go forward slash podcast, or come and find me on social media where I am sustainableish pretty much everywhere. Okay, so here we go with this week's good news section. In The Guardian this week, Stockholm are planning to ban petrol and diesel cars from the centre of Stockholm from 2025. They have announced plans to become the first big capital city to ban petrol and diesel cars from its centre in an effort to slash pollution and reduce noise. So from 2025, there are 20 blocks of Stockholm's inner city centre spanning its finance and main shopping districts where diesel and petrol cars will no longer be allowed. And this is... I guess, a a slightly, well, it is a more ambitious step than some other major cities have already taken. So um, Paris, Madrid and Athens have banned diesel cars. London, as people from the UK will probably know, has a charging scheme that covers the most polluting combustion engines. But this is going one step further by banning both petrol and diesel cars. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out and um, if it encourages other cities to be that little bit more ambitious. Closer to home from Positive News, Hull has become the first city in the UK to approve a right-to-grow scheme which lets people grow produce on unused council land. This sounds like such a brilliant idea Um, and I love this quote from Alex Robinson who is the CEO of Hubbub who are an environmental charity. He described the move as a severe outbreak of common sense which I absolutely love. Let me know if you do too. And even closer to home, Earlier on this week I started a thread in the Sustainablish Clubhouse about this idea that we need to get better at talking about some of the genuine joy that often comes with living more sustainably because the media narrative is very much that the green movement are coming to take away your cars, your holidays, your burgers and that a greener life is one of austerity and deprivation and just general sadness i think this sort of bleak grayness and this just isn't the case so i asked clubhouse members for the things that bring them joy and honestly it was the most uplifting thread to read here are just a couple of examples ruth said the more i live out my values the better i feel about myself and i think probably lots of us can really relate to that And Ruth went on to talk about the buzz she gets from cycling, the warm glow from spending money at ethical businesses, and she describes it as a free pass when buying secondhand clothes. And another comment was from Julia, who said, I love hanging the washing out on a sunny day. Oh my God, it's one of my faves as well. (laughs) It feels so sad, doesn't it? But it genuinely is joy-inducing. She also said, finding a book I want to read in the library um, or secondhand, um, having chats with the lovely ladies in the farm shop, knowing that I'm making things a little bit better just by shopping in a small local shop. So what about you? What are the things that you do to live a bit more sustainably that also spark joy? Please do share. Share them with me and really do share them with other people around you too because the more we talk about how much better so many of these choices choices, choices make our lives, the more others will be encouraged to join in as well. So it's a really... I think important move to try and sort of shift the shift the narrative and move us towards those social norms of more people doing more of this joyous stuff. So that's it from me for another week. Thank you so much for listening. You're an absolute superstar. If you have a minute and you want to spread some joy to me, (laughs) please do leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts and do share this episode with your friends. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening and I will catch you next time. Take care.